0: To the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love.
1: So, for those of you that have been here the last few weeks, you know we've been doing this series on relationships. And about a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, Pastor Jason came to you, Jody and I and said, Hey, would you guys take on the topic of marriage? And uh, Talk about that. And I don't know if it's because he knew that in July we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary, so that's exciting for us. So. Good. But one thing that he couldn't possibly have known um, is that my parents and my in-laws would both be here this Sunday. My son graduated yesterday, uh, Brendan from Arrowhead Christian, so it's a great event for them. But my parents... This year in June, in less than a month from now, both of them, my parents and my in-laws, will be celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So that, that deserves applause. So, and, and I have to say this about both, uh, both sets of both my parents and my in-laws. I am very grateful to them because they have provided a godly model to Jody and I for how to have uh, a good marriage. And I'm very appreciative for them uh, for that role model that they've given us. So, last week as the message began, Ricardo gave us this little pithy video. Uh, I maybe lack that tech savviness, so today we have a few memes that I want to show you uh, before we get started, but um, I'll just let you guys read through them, and James, you can just sort of cycle through them. Um. (laughs) Right? There's some truth to that? (laughs) So if you can't read it, it says you already ate yours. So there you go. Um, So as we get started, uh, I want to take a look at just a few statistics to help give a picture of what's going on with marriage in America today. So I just have five stats for you. Uh, Pew Research Foundation says that 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. Now, it's a little bit better now. If you're just getting married now, only about 40% of marriages are ending in divorce. So, but it's still a sad statistic. Um, second statistic for you, uh, fact for you. Uh, American Psychological Association states that healthy marriages are good for couples' mental and physical health. They are also good for children. Growing up in a happy home protects children from mental, physical, educational, and social problems. Third fact for you, the number one life event that leads to poverty for a family is divorce. Here's another one. Indiana State University uh, did a study that showed that 23% of men and 19% of women admitted to cheating within their marriage. And then a a final stat for you. In just the last 10 years or so, uh, the number of 30 to 44-year-olds, so adults, Uh, cohabitating has doubled in just that time period, gone from about 3% of those adults to more than 8% of those adults. This is not a happy picture of what's going on with marriage in America. However, what does God have to say about this? What's his perspective on marriage? I think there's a couple things here that will help you understand how important uh, marriage is to God. First of all, marriage was the first earthly relationship established by God. So he created Adam, he created, uh, made all of creation, they're in the garden. He's communing with Adam every day. Adam doesn't need anything from any perspective to make himself whole or complete. But God looks at man and says he'd be better if he had a wife. And so he creates Eve and, um, uh, and he sets up marriage. And we see this in Genesis 2 verse 24. Actually, I think I'll have the verse brought up here. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is God's recognizing that men and women are different than each other, and in those differences are better together. This is equal in value, but not necessarily, or, but different in function. Equal in value, but different in function. So God establishes marriage as his first earthly relationship. Second thing that helps us understand how important marriage is to God is that God uses marriage as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. We see this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. And the disciples of John came to him, him being Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Several times in Scripture, the same picture is used where Christ is seen as being the bridegroom, the church is seen as being the bride. We see it again in Matthew chapter 25 as well. It's the parable of the ten virgins. And the the whole idea within that passage is that some churches, some people, will be ready for the second coming of Christ and some will not. But in that story, without getting into the details of it, it's the same kind of picture. Christ is seen as being the bridegroom. The church is seen as being the bride. So, if God sees marriage as being that important... Does it surprise us that Satan, that the evil one, would seek to destroy marriages? Would it surprise us that what he's trying to do is to destroy individuals by hurting or ruining uh, marriage, by messing up our understanding of even the church by destroying marriages? And then, if marriage is that important to God... Should it surprise us that in God's word, he would actually give us some instructions, some guidance about how to have a good marriage, how to have a successful marriage? And yes, guess what? He has. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 33. And some of you as you turn to that passage and you start to read you know your blood pressure starts to skyrocket and you you know you're getting all upset even before I've started talking about it but i think if we need to, to understand this passage properly we need to go to verse 33 to start and the reason for that is that verse 33 is paul's conclusion so he's given all of these statements and then he makes a summary conclusion in verse 33 and the only way to understand these passage, the entire passage is in light of what's given in this summary conclusion of the matter. And in that verse, he says, however, let each one of you love, however is a conclusion word, a summary word. So we know that that's his conclusion of the matter. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Jody and I have uh, viewed a video series called Love and Respect by a guy named Dr. Emerson Igerich. Uh, Phenomenal. Highly recommend it to you. But the way he describes it is that love is what the wife most desires, and respect is what the husband most desperately needs. We're going to go back and look at the rest of this passage. And I'll say one more thing before we jump into it as we look at verses 22 to 33. If you're a woman here today and you're highly focused on what the man needs to do, you're part of the problem. And if you're a man here today and you're highly focused as we read this passage on what the woman has to do, you're part of the problem. So as we read through this, focus on what you have to worry about because, believe me, there's enough to worry about just for yourself, right? Um, So let's read through it. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So guys, I'm going to talk to you for a while. Here's the secret for you. God's secret for you. What the woman most desires, what your wife most desires is love. And not puppy love. Um, It's not, you know, roses and champagne and candlelight dinners love. It's the kind of love that meets three standards in this passage. We want to look at each of those. First of all, in verse 25, it says that you're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What kind of love is that? It's a self-sacrificing love. So think about this. Christ is in glory, he's God, he's in glory, he has a position of authority, and he gives up all of that position of authority, he gives up the uh, who he was to come down to earth, to be born of a woman, to live in a sinful, messed up, corrupt world. And he lived in it in a sinless manner, uh, did not commit sin in his entire life, and yet, at the end of his life, he sacrificed for us on the cross. He takes on all of our sins, his father turns his back on him, in uh, the ultimate recognition of what he's gone through for us. And yet that's the kind of love, men, that we're to have for our, lives, our wives. It's a self-sacrificing love. And so that means we have to be willing to give up our life uh, for our wife. And not just for, say, that, uh, that purpose of, of sacrifice for that, but it describes it in this passage as being the purpose of sanctifying her, making her holy. Another word for holy is being set apart. I don't really know, as I was getting into this passage, I don't really know exactly all of what that means, but I get this picture that when I love my wife in a self-sacrificing kind of way that allows her to be set apart, it means it's set apart from the rest of my relationship that is protected from this corruption of the world around me, uh, that in some ways I I put her on a pedestal because of the deep love uh, that I have for her. Second thing that it says in this passage is in verse 28. It says that we are to love... Our wife as we love our own body. Think of all the things that men that we do to care for our bodies. We feed it. Some of us do more than that than we should, but we feed it. Um, we clean it, maybe not as often as we should. We work it out, maybe not as often as we should. We go to the doctor. Yep, We tend to take care of our own bodies. When you read this passage, though, it has two elements to it that really specifically apply to how we love our wives. It talks about the fact that we are to nourish and cherish. Um, How does that relate to marriage? When I think about nourishing that relationship I have with my wife, that means that I feed it, I I care for it, I do the kinds of things that make it grow, and that I cherish it, I see it as more valuable than any other relationship that I have. I put it ahead of anything else that I have in my life. That's the kind of uh, love that God wants us to have uh, for our wives. And then finally, in verse 33, the third standard that God has given us, he says that we are to love our wives as we love ourselves. We could hardly love ourselves any more than we do, right, guys? Um, We're selfish. We want our own way. Uh, We like to do what we like to do. We like to be served. We like to be treated royally. Uh, We like our me time. We even have man caves. That's a lot of love. (laughs) And what this verse is saying is that we actually have to love our wives in that same kind of way that we love ourselves. That's a very high standard. Now, as I was thinking about that this week, I thought about this. How do I help make this practical for us? How do we love our wives in the way that this passage is describing. And I wanted to give sort of five pieces of advice, one for every five years of marriage, because maybe I've only learned one thing every five years. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to share five things with you uh, that I think can, can help you in terms of loving your wife in the way that you should. Um, the first thing that I want to share is that uh, it's really important to share duties at home. And, um, I'll say this, it was really interesting when I was looking into the research on good marriages over and over again, by far one of the single highest uh, reasons for satisfaction in a marriage is when husbands and wives share responsibilities in the home. And when Jody and I were first married, I remember conversations during that first year. We were both young professionals, both working outside the home, and there was a lot of conversations. I think this was good for where we're at that point we were at in our marriage, conversations about how do we split these duties in the home, and a lot of talks about fairness and what was right and you know, 50-50 and those kinds of words. But I'll have to tell you that after 25 years of marriage, if we're still having those same kind of conversations about 50-50 and fairness, that's a problem. You know, Part of my way of demonstrating love for my wife is that when there's laundry to be folded, I fold it. When there's dishes to be taken out of the dishwasher, I take them out of the dishwasher. When there's laundry's piling up, I do laundry. I don't think about it in terms of, well, has she done her part that she needs to do? No, I focus on it from my own perspective. And the second thing I'm gonna challenge you guys on related to this uh, same point of sharing the duties at home is if you go into a situation and think, well, those, that's woman's work and it's not my responsibility, um, that's I think is really problematic, and I don't mean it because there aren't things that you're going to have that you're better at doing than your wife and that w- your wife is better at doing than you, and you make an agreement, you know, honey, stay away from this area. I'll take care of it. And in 25 years of marriage, I don't think Jody's ever mowed a lawn, and that's a great thing and not a bad thing at all. But if I go into it with an attitude that it's her responsibility to do it, that's a problem rather than seeing it as something that's a privilege for me to do uh, in her place. So share duties at home. Uh, Second thing, uh, challenge that I would say for men, second way of showing love to our wives is to be faithful in all things. And this is more than, you know, being, uh, not being in a sexual relationship with somebody else. It's more than that. It's being emotionally faithful as well. If you're going around looking for emotion, making emotional connection with somebody that's not your wife, you're automatically creating a disconnect with your wife. That's a problem. Um, if you have an issue with porn, you're automatically creating uh, this ideal of a sexualized, uh, idealized woman that's not your wife. That's a problem. Be faithful in all things. If you, you need to be faithful in how you use your time. If you're not committing to your relationship uh, in the way that you should, that's a problem. You need to be faithful in all things. Um, You need to be faithful in your finances. If you have your own little secret stash of money that you get to do, the fun things that you like to do in, and then you resent it every time your wife spends any money at all, that's a problem. You need to be faithful in all things. Um, Third thing here is, that I would say to men, is that you need to learn her love language. So a guy named Gary Chapman wrote probably 20, 25 years ago a book called uh, The Five Love Languages. And his premise, his whole idea of the book is that every person has a language in which they best receive another person's love, how they would tend to express love and how they would tend to receive love so they know that somebody else loves them. And uh, there are five of these that he's identified. Uh, So one of them is what's called the love language with gift giving. So if your wife has that love language where she needs to receive gifts, then you have a wife where you need to to be buying roses and you need to be buying jewelry. You need to express your love to your wife in ways that would show that you're giving gifts to her. Um, The second love language that he's identified is what's called quality time. Quality time, if your wife has the love language of quality time, then you better get used to long walks, long talks, or lots of listening, uh, because that's important to her. (laughs) That's her love language. Third would be words of affirmation. So if this is your wife's love language and you need to find ways of encouraging your wife, telling her she's beautiful, that you're proud of what she does at work, that you have uh, respect for her, that she's sexy, she's beautiful, Uh, you need to be able to express that to her because she has this love language of words of affirmation. Fourth love language is acts of service. If your wife has this love language where she uh, receives love and sees love in terms of what you do for her, then you better get good at cleaning toilets, okay? (laughs) my message for you. And then finally, physical touch is the fifth love language. And uh, if this is your wife's love language, then every day before you leave for work in the morning, there's a kiss and a a moment where you tell her that you love her. Uh, There's snuggles uh, on the couch at night while you're watching a movie because this is how your wife recognizes and sees love in you. So the third thing was uh, knowing her love language. Fourth is consciously put her needs ahead of your own. I remember when Michaela was first born, um, I was a good late 20-something guy, and uh, I loved video games, and uh, it took a little bit after she was first born to realize that if I was going to love my wife appropriately, that when I returned home from the end of the day, she needed me to be a dad and be a lot of a dad at that point in life, because it it's tough, tough having a newborn, having a, a young baby. And for me to express my love to my wife meant that I had to consciously put her needs ahead of mine. I had to give up my fun that I enjoyed doing with playing video games to make sure that I was uh, taking care of Michaela and, ta- and taking care of my wife in the way that I needed to. And then guys, the fifth way that you can sh- express your love to your wife is in, I'm gonna give it in one word and that word is lead. And... um. Marriages can devolve into what Egerich calls the, crazy, the relationship crazy cycle, the crazy relationship cycle. Your wife says something that disrespects you, so then you say some mean words to her, so then she does something that uh, you know, further shows a lack of respect, and so then you fail to express love to her, and you need to see this is spiraling down and going the wrong way. I really believe that one of the ways that God calls us as men to lead in our relationship is to lead in that situation to break that crazy relationship cycle. Your love for your wife has nothing to do with whether she respects you. You make a decision to love, and your decision to love is going to change your relationship. God's called us as men to lead, and this is one of the ways that we can lead is by breaking this crazy relationship cycle. And now that I've picked on the men long enough, Jodi's gonna take her turn with uh, sharing some thoughts uh, for all of us as well.
0: So Brian says I have the hard part because it's pretty popular to talk about love, but it's not maybe so easy to talk about respect, but it's equally important. Um, As Brian mentioned, years ago we were introduced to the video series called Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks, and we loved it and we think it's very helpful for couples to watch or to read the books and discuss. But I will admit that I've wrestled with how does every woman respect every husband You see, in my case, it's easy. Um, Brian is a man to be respected. He loves God, he comes loaded with skills and abilities, and he does a great job loving me. So that's, I have no problem, usually, treating (laughs) him with respect. But what about my friends whose husbands are more flawed? They don't help around the house, they're not gainfully employed, and they don't adequately show love. So how do we respect when it's not easy? And as we dig into what respect is, I want to give you an example of not showing respect and the consequences. Um, One time, we were traveling for Brian to interview for a job. The school was paying for the hotel, and they suggested a few nice places. But you see, Brian is a good New England boy, and he's very thrifty. And so he he went online and he started looking for a hotel. And he decided that he should get a cheaper hotel that was further away and that wasn't as nice. So I came along, and I saw what he had done, and I threw out my hip. <laughs> and I said, why in the world would you pick that nasty hotel out of town when they said they would pay for the nice one right there? And I put my hip back, and I, I went to bed. I was just so disgusted with him. But, but honestly, I didn't really think much about it after that. I just, you know, but when he came to bed that night, he was so mad. And I don't mean like a little mad. He was really mad. And it took me years to realize why he felt so badly about that. But then I realized that I had belittled his abilities and I had disrespected him when I said what I did. And, you know, I could have disagreed with his choice, And I could have suggested to him we might be better off going with a different plan, but I went about it the wrong way. And you've heard that sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but words can never hurt me. But that's a lie. Words do hurt, and they do influence us. So I want to go ahead and talk about what is respect. And respect is positive regard no matter what that person has done. So positive regard, no matter what they've done. So you failed me yesterday, but today I welcome you with positive regard. Your behavior does not influence how well I treat you. So I think of this old man that I see at the donut shop a lot. I could, this old man, I could show him no respect by maybe pointing him out, laughing at him, snickering at him as I go by, or I could greet the old man with, how are you this morning, sir? Have a great day. So he hasn't done anything differently, but I can either show him respect or no respect. So here are five things that as wives we can do to show respect. Uh, Number one, we can respect and we can expect the inner desire to do what is right. So we can respect the inner desire to do what is right. Uh, So for my hotel example, I could have said, I know you want to use the school's money wisely and I respect your integrity to do what is best. Brian wasn't trying to put me in a bad situation. He was trying to use the school's money the best way he could. But it's my choice to focus on the negative or the positive. And say your husband goes to the grocery store and he brings home the wrong thing. Do we respect his desire to have gotten the right thing or do we mock him for falling short? So that's a good little example. Uh, Number two, are we contemptuous? Is your weapon of choice verbalized contempt do you speak, do I speak, in a condescending and disapproving voice? And what do you look like when you're upset? Do your eyes get dark, the hand goes on the hip, you get the finger out? <laughs> uh, what would, would you want someone else to speak to your son the way you speak to your husband? Mm. And a question to ask ourselves is, when, what I'm about to say, is it going to sound respectful or disrespectful? And this question only works if we're stewing and we're thinking about it ahead of time, because I think a lot of times when we're disrespectful, we're just flying off the handle. We don't think about it, we just do it. So we have to practice showing respect so that eventually it becomes natural and that we're not naturally going to um, disrespect. Uh, Number three, they may not deserve respect, but they will respond better to respect than to negativity and disrespect. So again, if you think of the old man at the donut shop, he hasn't earned my respect, but what's going to be better for him? If I snicker at him and walk around him, or if I greet him? You can almost see him sit up straighter if I greet him with respect. So let's take an example. My, husband's f- my friend's husband is sleeping late and not helping um, around the house. So what are her options? Option one is she throws out the hip, and she gets the finger, and she lets him have it. And option two... And this is hard, and this is why we have to pray and ask God to help us to show respect, because it's not natural. But another option for her would be to say, I respect your need for sleep. But in truth, though, now I feel pressured for time. Would you be willing to help me fold this laundry? It might not be perfect, but it's better than ridicule or contempt. Um, Number four, as women of God, we must be above being controlled by our husband's behavior or shortfalls. Hmm. With God's help, my husband cannot make me become contemptuous or undignified. I am to show respect. He cannot make me become shrill. I am responsible for my own behavior. So when the husband sleeps in late, it does not make us lose our control. And if you think about it, how do we feel after we've gone off or laughed at our spouses? For a moment, you may feel that temporary exhilaration because you were right. (laughs) But deep down, we know we've crossed a line and we've done wrong. So we need to do our part no matter if they are falling short. And it refers back to when Brian said that the husbands need to love the wives no matter what. And the same for us as wives. We need to be respecting them no matter what. Um, Number five, Jesus loved us when we were sinners. Of anyone, we Christians should be able to apply unconditional regard. We didn't earn Christ's love. And likewise, those around us don't need to earn our positive regard. We should see the image of God in our husbands and honor that image. When I see that old man at the donut shop, I need to respect him because he is God's creation. I must respect you. I, respect, I have to respect my clients, my coworkers. So surely we can extend that to our spouses. So that was my last point, but I want to do a little bonus, and I want to you, give you a little homework assignment this week. And I want you to ask your spouse what makes you feel respected. Or you could ask what makes you feel disrespected. I didn't tell Brian I was going to do this, so I'm just going to ask him right now. Honey... What makes you feel respected? Wow! (laughs) I knew it'd be more fun if I didn't warn you. (laughs) (laughs) Um.
1: I I think I think when Jody's proud of what I do at work, it's always a big way that I feel um, good about myself. I feel like when I make a decision and feel like I've tried to do something the right way, if she recognizes that I was trying to do it the right way, that's another way of showing respect as well.
0: Um, And I think when you, like even he had to think about it, right, and we've been working on this for a long time. When you ask your spouse this, at first, they might not be able to identify it right away, but help them to realize what you're asking is what makes them feel good about themselves or what makes them feel bad about themselves. And I love to encourage people to have these discussions when you're feeling totally cool. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going on. You're just having dinner. <laughs> you, don't, you don't ask this in the heat of the moment, <laughs> but, but you just ask them when things are good because that way they can think clearly and they can tell you this is what makes me feel respected.
1: Um, As we close today and the worship team comes back up, I just want to challenge you with this thought. God has clearly made marriage to be very important. And it's so important to God that Satan takes it on as an area that he seeks to attack it in. And if it's that important to God, are you making it important for you as well? Are you doing everything you can to create a godly marriage Men, are you doing everything you can to love your wife as Christ loved the church, as these passages talked about? And women, are you doing everything you can to show respect uh, to your husband? And as we close right now, I just would challenge you with that. Um, I was in a couple conversations over the last couple months with men whose wives were making a decision to uh, leave them, to divorce them. And the thing I was struck by with it that was discouraging to me is I felt like in, in both these cases that these uh, gentlemen were too quick to be like, well, I guess it's it. Guys, do everything. Fight for this marriage. Do everything you can to create a powerful, godly marriage. And it obviously takes two of you to make it happen. Uh, but our job, our role is to, um, is to be obedient to that and to seek to do everything we can to create strong marriages. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. And as they do that, if the ushers want to come forward as well. God, as we close this morning, Lord, we, just, we know that you've created this institution of marriage. and um, It's your design. It's your desire for us in this world. Um, not that it's the only design, but that it's when it happens, when a man and a woman choose to be in relationship, make that covenant relationship with each other. You've set it apart and said it needs to meet a certain kind of standard, just be a certain kind of way. And it takes work to reach that standard, Lord. And you've done it because it's a picture that you have for us of Christ in the church. It provides an understanding of what the church's relationship is to be like with your son, Lord. And I just would ask that you'd help each of us here that's married to be uh, earnest about creating godly In good marriages. For those that are not married, Lord, that are seeking to be married, that we begin now to think about laying that right kind of foundation uh, for the future. God, as we take this offering now as well, I just would ask that you would use these resources uh, to support your work in this community and in this region. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.